Welcome to Welcome to the Hollowell Manor. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And hey, Tina, have you seen the Buffy episode Earshot? Why, yes, I have. Well, it's funny, because, you know, so did the people who made this episode. Oh, man. This episode, of course, being Charmed Season 3, Episode 6, Charmed Classic. Do I need to say that? I, I feel, don't. Eh. I, I'm pretty sure our listeners should know that we're Charmed Classic, especially because even if even if for some reason this is your first episode listening, it is called Welcome to the Hallowell Manor. Wow. Duh. Obviously. But, uh... Season 3, Episode 6, Primrose Empath. Like the Primrose Path. I did not know that was a thing. That, uh, that flew right over my head. Oh, the Primrose Path, it's like... When you're walking down a path, like, totally happy and not aware of the danger that you're walking towards, like, sleeping with the source of all evil. But you know what? It's, to be fair to Cole, he had no idea what Phoebe would be like after they got married. Wait, so are you saying that Cole is the one who's on the... <laughs> I, that, that was my joke, yes. That was, I was, I switched it there. Mm. See, so I switched it up that time. Exactly! That's a, uh... Double click song. Yes. So... Which you should listen to. That one's, uh... I don't remember the title of that one, but it's real. it's good. It's the one about ships. Uh, Will They or Won't They? Yes! Yes! But, yes, Primrose Empath. That's a way more clever name than I thought once you explained the kind... I, I... That totally th- flew over my head, so I missed... That's actually a really clever name. See, it, it didn't occur to you to think about it, because Charmed does not usually have clever names. Yes. That's another thing they stole from Buffy, having a clever name. I don't know, is Earshot clever? Eh, no, actually, Earshot's not that... Eh, I don't know. This is actually a cleverer name than Earshot. Mm. And, okay, are you ready? Yes. There's another thing here where I'm going to praise it as being better than Buffy. Ooh. Yeah, I know. It's, I, I don't even know what's happening. Like, the episode Earshot specifically or Buffy in general? Buffy in general. Okay, because this is, I think, probably the Buffy heaviest episode of Charmed we've had thus far. We are, we are really, really, I know I've said this so many times this season already, but we are really biting Buffy Stelio here. Well, I mean, you've got... One of the main characters, you've got one of your sisters, dyeing her hair blonde and starting to date the big bad. So, I mean, and not that, you know, any of this stuff on its own is unique to Buffy, but taken as a whole. Yeah, there's a lot more Buffy DNA in this particular episode, and I have a feeling that's going to get worse before it gets better. Yes, and by feeling, you mean you remember the show. (laughs) Yes, I have seen Charmed before. Shall we begin? I believe we shall begin. So, uh, we open with Prue trying desperately to use her powers on a fork, specifically telekinesis. Right, and she is unable to move the fork. And then I have to tell you, Max, my very first note in here is, what?! Is Phoebe wearing? Yes. Phoebe enters the room wearing... A deeply, a deeply inappropriate Halloween costume. I mean, it's not supposed to be a Halloween costume, but it's... It's 
fringe. It's it it it's I'm guessing faux deerskin fringe. It looks like felt. Uh it's calling it a halter top feels kind of generous. It's it's not a halter top because there's only a front and then it's tied in the back, but it's a halter front. I'm just telling you, it it looks like a very offensive Coachella outfit is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Yes, all she is lacking is her appropriative headgear. She's also paired it with a with a weird with a weirdly... blue well, it's a blue suede fringe skirt. Like it's a oh, it's I a whole it was look. Denim. Oh no no, it's 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 suede to match oh. the top. Yeah, and it has this weird red string thing at the front. Well, it's it's drawstring. Oh my god, what is oh. wrong with this outfit? <laughs> I mean, I know blah, 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 Prue said that she can't, you know, use her telekinesis when she's in astral form, but what's going on with Phoebe's outfit is the more important thing. Yes, and by the way, that's why Prue was unable to use her power. She was astrally projecting. Phoebe's like, wait, why don't you have a power? And she's like, because I'm up in the attic. This is just my astral body. So... I mean, uh, by the way, we, we didn't... I think maybe it was implied by my talking about the appropriation, but... Phoebe's outfit also has beads and feathers. Yes, yes it does. So And also she's like I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just I have to say cuz Phoebe's no, no, like No, get it out. Get it out. Phoebe's like, "Prue, I just have no idea what to wear on a lunch date." And it's Not like, that. God. But you've had lunch before, right? Uh. Okay. All right. I think I think I'm done talking about this outfit. I will have more to say when she comes out in her weird tied-together skirt and red banded shirt later. So, I don't think Prue's intentionally trying to be mean here, but Prue's whole thing this episode is going to be about having a power she can't control, which is really not the case with either one of her powers. She's, I mean, she hasn't had a telekinesis fuck-up in ages, I think since season one, and she got a hang of her astral stuff pretty quickly. Well, when she is up in the attic, she has the Book of Shadows open to Balthazar's page. And, by the way, the show just loves this joke. Phoebe's like, gosh, he's so ugly. I sure would never have sex with him. What a weird thing for me to say. But Prue isn't, it's not so much, I mean, she talks about having a power she can't control. It's true. But really, her concern is that she doesn't think they are powerful enough to defeat Balthazar. And that has been a running concern for Prue. Yeah, that is, that is fair. But throughout the episode, there's going to be her talking about her having a power she can't control. Which, really, Prue? Really? I mean, it, it feels mean because she's talking to Phoebe, who has two powers she can't control. Right? Well, I'm, I think she's getting a little better at levitation, although we haven't seen that power in ages. Yeah, I think she last used it in the fairy episode where she levitated and then Prue telekinetically moved her over so she could grab the fairies, which is like, you didn't need to tell, you didn't need to levitate if Prue was just going to telekinetically move you anyway. Yeah, yeah. Phoebe has, I think, given up on trying to get her premonition to be under any sort of control. She's just like, eh, whatever, it happens when it happens. Yeah, she's really, I mean, this is sort of going into her thing being, you know, romance from 
This yeah. is really the intro of romance being the focal point for Phoebe. It's been a thing for her in the past, but it's really kind of taken over her interest in witchcraft in general. Which is a real shame. I loved, I loved earlier on that her character trait was being the one who... She was the study witch. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of uh, stealing things from Buffy... Remember when Willow's thing was that she was the really studious one, and then it was like, oh. Soon as she got magic. Right? To be fair, magic is way cooler than being a nerd. I mean, I guess it's being a nerd from a different angle, but it's... Yeah, but you can be a nerd about magic, but that's not really what they did with Willow. Mm. No, they shifted into that weird addiction thing. I just... There's a season seven episode where they're trying to figure out a spell, and... She's trying to think about what the plural of chrysalis, chrysalis is. Mm-hmm. It's chrysalises. It's chrysalis. Um, and I just remember reading the Television Without Pity recap. Do you remember Television Without Pity? I do remember. I love that site. They were so mean to Tara's dress from Once More with Feeling. They were very mean to that dress. I like that dress. I'm sorry. Go on. That aside. I just remember so clearly the line from that episode where it's like, oh, remember season one, Willow? She definitely would have known that the plural of chrysalis is chrysalis. She's been through a lot. I guess. They were making her date Kennedy. People are so mean to Kennedy. They are, and I feel like I might have been a little too harsh on on Kennedy when we were doing our rewatch but the thing is upon rewatch what I really what really hit me as wrong with Kennedy's character is that she kind of takes up all of Willow's narrative space to explain why Willow doesn't just end the season very very early yeah I can see that she was researching that pocket full of sunshine spell back in season five the Taraka Khan were you know come on she could have taken them season five willow which granted was when she got her first major power up but mm-hmm. like season five competent willow could have taken out all of the taraka khan all right so despite what you might think from watching this episode of charmed this is not our buffy cast yes so prue has a toothache apparently and she's been putting off getting it fixed because she's so focused on demons good continuity and you know what? I get it. I always put off going to the dentist because I hate going to the dentist. Um, do you like the dentist I introduced you to? Bro? Our I, new dentist. I, I like the guy locally. I just... Okay, so... To get into it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm allergic to latex, which was a thing I did not discover until I was 18. And everybody talks about how... Like, everybody makes jokes about how painful it is to go to the dentist. So I had no idea that, like, the fact that the latex gloves in my, that the dentist used, like, caused me so much pain was abnormal Mm. so for my whole childhood going to the dentist was an excruciatingly painful thing that i thought was normal so it didn't occur to me to be like hey maybe you should get some polyurethane gloves and once i was 18 and i knew that and i said that and actually latex gloves aren't even really used anymore because of latex allergies so many people have them um it stopped being painful but you know 18, it's, it's, 18 formative years of that don't go away overnight. Also, going to the dentist is never fun. I like our guy, but I mean... Also, this is another thing that took me a while, because I just... You know when they do the polish? Oh, God. Awful. It, it took me a while to be like, wait, 
just don't polish my teeth. Like, wait, I can just ask them to not do the polish. I don't care if they're shiny. I just need them cleaned. Mm. So you could just be like, please don't put that disgusting stuff in my mouth. Yes. So Prue is finally going to the dentist because, you know, tooth stuff, not to immediately go off on a different tangent, but tooth stuff, like, it, I don't think it should be counted separately insurance-wise because... It affects the rest of your body. Really. Yeah, no, you could get really screwed up if you don't pay attention to your teeth. It you can... can die. It's a thing that happens. Yeah, you can get infections that can, like, cause damage to... It's your head! There are... It's, it's in your head. All the important stuff is there. Well, most of the important stuff. So, yeah, you can die if you get, in, uh, if you get a tooth infection, which is why... Uh... Good Prue's finally getting to the dentist. Oh, is she, though? (laughs) Yes. Uh, On her way to the dentist, she is interrupted by, well, Cole. Yes, Cole is uh, giving her lots and lots of signs. And because she is a charmed one, he knows that they have to be super obvious. So he has a bus drive by with a sign that says, Save the Innocent. And then he has a giant flashing arrow wheel in front of Prue, pointing in a particular direction. And then a guy starts pointing her into that direction, and she's like, I wonder if something's going on here. I feel like Charmed kind of dropped a little bit the uh, whole universe guiding them to stuff. Well, and even here, um, Prue calls Phoebe and is like, hey, did you cast that look for the signs spell that you did back in season two. Good continuity. Yeah, the one that uh, helped Piper choose between Leo and Neighbor Dan. Oh, Neighbor Dan. Neighbor Dan. But Phoebe's like, no, I I didn't cast anything. And Prue's like, wow, must be the higher powers then. But it's not, it's Cole. Yeah. Cole has led her to this abandoned building. I love how Cole has like, no super consistent power. He can just kind of do whatever he needs to do. Yeah. To make the plot go forward. He just, she just has unlimited magic. Just whatever. Just go with it. I, huh. I guess that doesn't really bother me. I, I feel like it should bother me. It feels like Cole should just have a power, but. Yeah, no, I, I don't mind that he's can do basically anything. I, I'm okay with that. And, of course, once he becomes good, he's basically limited to teleporting and uh, fireballs, but, you know. Well, you know, we haven't really talked about Cole's deal. I mean, we have, but the show hasn't really revealed his whole deal to us. But he is half-human, so I like the idea that his human half has access to magic just like witches do. Hmm. Huh. That is an intro. <laughs> God. Every, every time we go into Cole's stuff, I'm like, why didn't we get more coal? Except we did, and it was bad. But he's a very interesting character that this show never quite manages to utilize properly. I mean, I still love him. Oh, I, I'm he's still, great. I'm still very excited that we're in the coal era right now. I just, I mean, we could legitimately do a Leo-esque list of coal inconsistencies power-wise once he becomes good and can't do anything. But see, I don't feel the need to do that because I love Cole, and he doesn't bug the hell out of me like leo does we'll get to him oh god i forgot his subplot this episode so annoying leo gets his very own subplot and honestly it's not just leo he and 
Piper are both getting on my last nerve this episode, but we'll talk about them in a minute. Buckle in. We've got a lot more of Leo and Piper to go. God, I know. They're not even married yet. I know. Oh my God. If you are having this much trouble in what should be the honeymoon period, maybe don't get married. Maybe Chris should have come back in time to keep them from getting married. Then he could have been born into a family where the couples weren't squabbling over literally nothing all the time. I'm so excited to get to Chris. <laughs> I'm so excited to get to the scene where Phoebe's like, Hey, Chris, maybe it was your destiny to get time aborted. God. Oh. <laughs> so, Prue gets to this abandoned building... And a construction worker is like, yeah, we're about to demolish this building, but there's still a guy living in there and he won't leave. So, eh, I don't know. We're waiting for them to bring us the forms to let us blow up the building with this guy still inside it. Yeah. And Prue, even though she followed a bunch of signs to get here, ignores the giant sign across the front door that says, Danger, do not enter. Which I feel like was put there by the elders to, like, they were like, eh. Cole's fucking with the charmed ones. I guess we can put a danger do not enter sign on the door, right? Oh, you're giving the you're giving the elders so much more credit than they deserve. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So Prue goes barging through the building. She finds this guy pretty uh, quickly, considering it's a whole apartment building. That's true. I didn't even think about that. Huh. Anyway, he's got a chain on his door, like you do, mm. and she uses her, her powers, her telekinesis, to open the chain. Like, I feel like the only reason the door had a chain was so that they could show off Prue's telekinesis. So there's a little rat man squatter guy who's kind of puttering around the, uh, I mean, I, I, I just called it a loft in my notes. Yeah, yeah, I guess loft is fair. It seems like this is the sort of, uh, this is sort of a very organized disorganization here. Mm, yeah. Well, maybe, maybe that's a, a clue as to what's really going on. I love how he rolled up a carpet and then carefully placed it against the wall. Yeah, it's, it's not exactly the kind of actual chaos that you would expect to see in a place where a squatter is living. But he tells her that she needs to leave. He can feel her pain, and he puts his hand to where, you know, his teeth are, and she's like, but my tooth was my thing that was previously established. Yeah, he can feel her toothache. Okay, so, uh, it's been a while since I watched Later Charmed, but since we were watching this episode, I pulled up a compilation of Phoebe spoilers using her empathy powers later uh-huh and i am glad that they do not have the annoying jingly music cue they get later that's funny that you watched that i watched a uh i watched a youtube compilation of shane dawson talking about how he's an empath it's not a good thing no i feel like just People talking about being empaths is a warning sign in and of itself. Yeah, just like people who say that they're classy or they don't like drama. It's like, mm. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, Piper and Leo are fighting at the manor when we come back from credits. And I, I, I wrote in my notes, ugh. <laughs> God. Yeah. Leo is upset because apparently Piper introduced him as her friend. 
Yeah, and she's like, what was I supposed to say? If I said that we were engaged, they'd want to know where the ring is or when we're getting married. And, okay, honestly, that's those are legit. He could have just said dating. Yeah, she could have said boyfriend, but honestly, like, if you want her to say engaged, maybe you should get her a ring. I'm mm. just saying. With what money? Okay, and that's the other thing. He's like, and you told them I'm a doctor. And she's like, well, you used to be a doctor. I couldn't say you were an angel. And it's like, you can you say could... handyman. Say he was a handyman. Oh, my God. And he's all like, oh, I lost my wings for you. And it's like. You um, got them back. Right? Catch up, Leo. You already have your wings back. And she's. And she's all like you know what, you being magical takes the magic out of our relationship because I can't just show you off like I could a normal human boyfriend. And you know what, Piper? Date a fucking human, okay? You didn't do a lot of showing off when you were dating neighbor Dan. And you know what, he was pretty cute. And he was an ex-professional, but yeah, he was an ex-professional baseball player. He was a little clingy, though. That was a real red flag. Oh, yeah, no. He was, he definitely had like a bunch of women's heads in his basement. Jeez, dark. But well, she killed him. We don't have to worry about him anymore. <laughs> she made him old magically. No, she did that, but yeah, yeah. Did she? She did. We saw her undo it. <laughs> but my point is, why are they together? Why? If, if this is like, uh, just... And they were fighting last episode, but that was because the elders wouldn't let them have sex. Yes, that is correct. And then Piper decided that she was just gonna just have go sex with him anyway but they were calling him away when he what not worth it but yeah they are having a lot of relationship issues right off the bat which does not bode well yeah i don't remember if they ever officially get divorced or if they're just separated for a while i do not believe they ever officially get divorced in the show of course did they ever legally get married they do legally get married they didn't just spiritually get married. Well, but... Did they fake a bunch of birth uh, certificates for Leo? They did do that. Oh. Okay. That that I clearly remember. I clearly remember that part. <sighs> so, anyway, Prue comes home. And Cole is with her because he just happened to show up at the same time she did. Hmm. What a coincidence. What a huge coincidence. Okay, let's talk about what Phoebe decided to wear to her lunch date. <laughs> okay, so she's wearing a bandage top. And for those of you who didn't live through the early 2000s, mm. that's literally a top where it's, it's made up of two strips of elastic. One strip that goes around the shoulders and and boobs and then another strip that goes around the the under boob section and it's it's red it's bright red and then she's also wearing this like very colorful skirt that ties in the front which means that it opens in just like a giant v in the front and is super clashing with the top and also fishnet stockings and witch boots. You know what I mean by witch boots? The one with, like, the pointy toes and the little heels? Like, I mean, it, it's better. It's better than what she was wearing before. I, I... It's... It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of, uh... It's a lot of look. It's a lot of look. 
it's a lot of like here's the thing when she first came out in just just seeing the bandage top from the top from like the waist up mm-hmm. i was like oh much better and then we get a full shot of her and i'm like what is happening below your waist well when she walks in i at first i thought she had it had like really long like flowy sleeves but it turned out she just had a sweater slung over her arm because the the really long flowy sleeves i was like yeah she, she, she just has a sweater that's the exact color as the top yeah which is fine actually later in the episode she puts the sweater on it's a cute sweater i think we kind of skipped over it earlier uh she's uh, she was upset because cole wanted to take her out on a lunch date and it feels like their relationship is moving backwards because oh no a lunch date yeah, she's like, lunch is a pale imitation of dinner, and I... Uh, okay, I feel like none of the Hollowell sisters actually want to date anyone. Well, I mean, her problem here is that she wants to be dating him more than she's dating him, and it's like, well, use your words, Phoebe. When he said, let's go out to lunch, you could have said, lunch? I think that we're at the dinner stage now. And then he could have either said, oh, okay, well, let's get dinner. Or he could have said, I'm so busy, but I really want to see you. Can we just squeeze it in when I can squeeze it in? And then she'd be like, oh my gosh, he just, he really wants to see me that bad. Hmm. And a lunch date feels like a, like, I, I don't think it's a downgrade. Honestly, I feel like it's kind of more intimate because you you're interrupting your day to have this meal with a person. See, the reason that I think a lunch date is less intimate is because there's a hard out. Hmm. At some, he's going to have to leave and go back to work. But I, I see your point. Like, he's he's making time for her. Yeah. He's an ADA. He has a very time-intensive, demanding job. So... And also, and also he's a demon. Yeah. Like, he's working a second shift. He's always on call. Speaking of, he's like, oh, I need to go into the kitchen. I have a work call I need to deal with. Well, he's, he says that he's going to make a call about the guy who uh, is in the loft because Prue mentions him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, let me call my guy because I'm an ADA. I, I, I have a guy who can get him a place to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's like, oh no, where's my cell phone? And Piper's like, just use the phone in the kitchen. God. I, yeah, I'm bringing that up because it might come up during our segments. So, Cole starts doing his shadow trick, and I think it's interesting that this kind of moves into a new thing. Because I, I always just assumed the shadow was, like, an ability he had to send a shadow off to deliver messages. But kind of implies that it's directly working for the triad here right because his shadow detaches from him and before he's like sent it off to do errands for him but now he's like hey we agreed that you weren't going to tattle on me to the triad until i had a chance to try my plan so the shadow has a mind of its own yeah which is neat and i don't know if anything comes from it i do love how he starts panicking because Phoebe comes into the room while his shadow is chilling out in a different part of the room. And the shadow's like, I don't know, dude. What am I supposed to do here? And Cole's like, you know, theatrically miming at it to like, don't draw attention to yourself. And Phoebe's completely oblivious. It's it's a, it's a, it's a broad piece of comedy, but I think it works. I mean, yes, I like it. I also would have been oblivious if a person's shadow detached. But, I mean, he's mugging so much. (laughs) 
But also, when Phoebe walks out of the room, the shadow turns and checks her out. God. Uh, it's, 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 I don't know. This show doesn't usually go out of its way to do purely visual things, and, and that's one of them. So, I feel like we should call it out. So, in the other room, which really doesn't feel like it should be out of hearing shot from Cole, but whatever. I really, I, I need to stop pointing that out because it's just a convention of TV. But Leo is explaining what the guy's deal was, that he is probably a future empath, how they're people who have gifts, and then when they die, they're like white lighters, but they inspire and heal people. It seems weird that he's drawing the comparison to white lighters. Why wouldn't they be more like witches? Why do they have to, like, they have the potential to be able to do all this mind stuff, but, it, or empathy stuff, but then... They don't become empaths until after they die, but they have the empathy powers before they die. I yeah, don't... They, they can feel everyone's emotions when they're alive, but then when they die, like, they can do more stuff, I guess. That feels like a completely unnecessary layer. They're, you can just say, oh, they're people who have emotion-sensing powers that are destined to help out other people. Like, come on. Why, why do you have to be like, oh, they're like white lighters, except they have their powers before... They die, and then when they die, they come back, but more powerful. Or they're like witches, except they have this one special power. Yeah, just, they're like witches. They have this one special power that they use to help people. Like, you don't have to, everything doesn't need to be a white lighter. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you don't have to run out and get a job after you die, except apparently you do, but. Yeah, it's like dead like me. Oof. So... Cole gives Phoebe his, uh, his card, and he writes his pager number on it. I don't know why his pager number isn't printed on his card. It feels like it should be. Mm. But anyway, he says, you know... Maybe it's his personal pager. Oh. Anyway, he says, you know, give this to the shut-in guy and have him page me, and the housing authority will set him up with a place to live. And then he and Phoebe are getting ready to go out to lunch, and Leo's like, oh, can we tag along? God damn it, Leo. Cole, okay, so it's very stupid, but I do enjoy that Cole and Leo kind of become like a buddy cop team later in the show and honestly are kind of way more effective than they should be. Mm -hmm. I was going to say way more effective than the sisters, but despite how much the sisters mess up and eventually stop caring about people, they do have a pretty good save record. Well, I like the antagonism that they have going on right now, where Cole, like, hates Leo because Leo is a white lighter and Cole is a demon, and Leo doesn't know why Cole hates him. <laughs> Leo doesn't understand Cole's hostility. Yes. Alright, so now we are in Crest Hills, an insane asylum, and honestly... Television depictions of psychiatric institutions are just all one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Like, there's there's literally... A trope got codified and they all just rolled with it. Yeah. At least in Once Upon a Time, there was a reason for it. Yeah. Because it was literally... <laughs> yeah. So, in the uh, asylum is the mayor from, from Buffy. Buffy. Yes. Mm. Yes. This is Father Thomas... And he sees a newspaper article about the guy who's who's the shut-in, refusing to leave. And he starts freaking out. 
and the nurse tries to calm him down, and then, of course, all of the other patients start freaking out because that's the way it works, and... There's a guy dressed like Santa Claus just wandering in the background, and I'm like, really? Thank you, I wanted to call that out. Really? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry for stepping on your toes. No, that's okay, that's... I was just gonna call out that there's a guy dressed like Santa Claus in the background. Everyone's wearing robes and stuff, like, do they... do... Do they let him dress like that? Is there... I, I guess so. I mean, I'd imagine there'd be a dress code, maybe. I, I don't know. No, no, there wouldn't... I don't think so. I I'm... mean, I know it's just a signifier that this is an asylum, but... <sighs> like, if this was the 50s, he would be wearing a Napoleon hat. God. But that, that particular trope doesn't exist anymore, so they were like, I don't know, what if it's a guy who thinks he's Santa Claus? Also, if this was Once Upon a Time... I would assume that... That's the real Santa Claus. That's the real Santa Claus, but, but Regina has yeah. locked him up in an asylum. Regina never checked those places after she... Speaking of, I mean, not time to get into it, but they never did save Glinda, did they, from that frozen hell dimension Zelina trapped her in? Nope, never did. Never went back. You're on your own, Glinda. Good luck. But, yes, uh, the mayor freaks out because he sees that the shut-in with the empathy powers is going to be released. And he's like, no, no! And it's like, oh, I wonder if there's going to be a twist with the shut-in guy. So, speaking of, Prue comes to the building and she's like, hey, I know the district attorney, so you have to let me do whatever I want. Assistant district attorney. Assistant district attorney. And the cop's like, he's just an... He's just an assistant, so you have five minutes, and then we're going to burn down the building with both you and him inside it. Essentially. Which does not seem like enough time, but... Mm. Yeah, yeah, he, he tells... I mean, it, it seems like it would take that long to, like, get to his apartment. Right? Yeah, and he tells Prue that, that if the guy doesn't leave willingly, they're going to, you know, arrest him, and then... The housing authority won't be able to help him at all because he will have a criminal record for trespassing and then they won't be able to put him in public housing, which is a real thing. And, um, yeah, that, really fucked up, too. Yeah, that's it's a little underplayed how really messed up the, uh... The getting, whole system is? Yes, I was gonna say getting police involved in this sort of thing is, but... Mm. So, Prue goes up to his apartment... And she says, hey, what's your name? And he says, Vince. Oh, she took some aspirin so that her tooth wouldn't hurt. She points out, I took aspirin so you don't have to worry about it. And he's like... She says, what's your last name? And he says, misery. And she says, you want some company? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> having having thereby won the dad joke off, he is, he, he's now, by the rules of, uh, of demon kind... Spoilers. Required to talk to her. I just... Seriously, Prue. Seriously. I feel like Prue should probably see uh, what happens coming, given what happened in uh, the Maggie Murphy episode. Because mm. these plots function very similarly. Yeah. Well, I mean... Their job is to save innocents. Usually the innocent doesn't turn out to be the problem. Mm. But, like, if someone has a problem, power, taking it away means it's going to go into you. Come on. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I guess bad luck doesn't count as a power unless you're in a Xanth novel, but... 
Well, Leo kind of talked up how powerful empaths were, so I think she knew the power was going to go into her, and she, on some level, wanted to take that power so that... Oh, just... yeah, that's going to help you beat Balthazar. Well, I mean, she's obsessed with powering up. Oh, okay, I'll talk. we'll talk about it more once we get around to the Vanquish, but... There was a really cool direction this episode could have gone into, and it gets so close to it, but then it doesn't. Yeah. She, uh, he talks about how, like, he can't survive out there, and he can't survive in jail. There's just too much, and he can't take it. And she's like, I know what it's like to have a power you can't control, which, oh my god, Prue, shut up. No, you don't. <laughs> no, this guy, as we've, as we've mentioned, he is a demon. It has not been revealed yet, but he really is playing her here. He's like, I also sense that you're afraid and that something is coming for you, something that you are not powerful enough to deal with. And so she, well, first of all, the deputy is like, okay, time's up. So she's using her telekinesis to hold the door closed. And then she's like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to take your power away. And she casts a spell that contains the line, free the empath. Which I bring up only because since he's not actually the empath, that spell maybe shouldn't have worked. Mm. Just throwing that out there. Also, kind of going a little slant rhymey here, but... Yeah, that's been that's been a running thing. Anyway, you know, the... Phoebe usually writes the spells, and I feel like she has... Although not great meter, usually better meter than when Prue's just left to her own devices. That is true. So, having completed a couplet, the empathy power has now left this young man, leaving him free to go out and do good in the world. Which he, uh, he starts by melting the cop. Prue, Prue leaves the room and he immediately melts the cop. Yep. <laughs> which. Prue... Well, and I mean, that's, that's so that we, that's so that we know that, uh, that he's a demon. And he's all like, hey, I can't feel your emotions. Now is a good time to kill you because I won't feel you die. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it until just now, but as a demon, like, he he was restrained from killing people specifically because he would have felt them die. Mm. Also, I have to tell you, I know we're comparing this a lot to Buffy, but the thing that I was thinking of the most when I was watching this through mm -hmm. was the... Futurama episode, I second that emotion, where Bender gets the emotion chip turned up, and he's feeling what everybody feels. He, like, makes fun of Leela, and then he feels bad because she feels bad about being made fun of. Uh. Empathy! Alright, we come back from... I'm sorry, I was wrong. It was actually working at ten times capacity. <laughs> and I still barely felt anything. Uh, All right, we come back from commercial to the lunch date, and I love this scene. Oh, my God. Cole's kind of aggressively dominating Leo throughout the course of this meal. Yes. Okay, but before we get to that, mm -hmm. uh, there's, like, an awkward silence, and... Phoebe is like, so, how about those 49ers? And Cole's like, the what? And they're like, you don't know the name of the football team from San Francisco? And Phoebe is trying to, like, be joke about it. And she's like, oh, he's not human. And Cole, like, starts choking on his water. He's like, what? I mean, 
Oh! Uh, a, human humor! A j- as I often enjoy as a human! <laughs> Not a demon. <laughs> but yeah, then uh, Cole asks for the check, and Phoebe and Piper get up to leave the two of them alone together. Oh my god. Okay. Leo tries to get all tough and be like, hey, if you hurt Phoebe, I'm gonna come for you. And Cole says, heaven forbid. God. Ah, I love him. I love him. Uh, And then, and then, when the girls get back and the check comes, Cole, like, takes it, right? He, He does that thing where he's like, oh, Leo and I have got this. Oh my god, Cole is such a... Oh, it's he's such a perfect dick. Because he knows who Leo is. He knows Leo doesn't have any money. And then Piper jumps right in and is like, Oh, sweetie, did you forget your wallet? Don't worry, I've got it. And Leo is like, How could you emasculate me like that? And it's like, oh my god, you both need to calm down. Piper, you were obviously being like... It, the way she said it, it was obviously a lie and a cover, so you did, like, blow up his spot. And then, Leo, calm down, okay? You don't have any money. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just love Cole putting Leo down like that. It's so petty, and it's such a perfect demon thing. He's so smug when he pulls out his cards. I know! Oh, he's- it's- yeah. So Julian McMahon is playing this character way more broad in this episode than he has in the past, and I think it's really paying off. Cole is cartoonish in almost any everything he does. It's great. Uh, so he, uh, his pager goes off. Mm. His pager. And he's like, I have to take this, and of course... You know, it's probably my high-paying job that I have, Leo. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So, of course, it's the demon who's still in the abandoned loft and Cole shimmers over to the loft. And, okay, the demon says, Well, he he thanks Cole first. He's like, so why did you do that? Like, don't get me wrong. Thank you. But what was that about? Yeah, because Vince was cursed with the empathy power. Hmm. Much like... A certain vampire I could name who was cursed to have a soul. Anyway, uh, he says that a human can't possibly handle the empathy power and she will be dead within a few days. Let's put a pin in that. Mm. 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 Because I'm I'm definitely going to want to yank that pin out in like 20 minutes. But let's put a pin in it for now. Oh, you're... You're not talking about a longer pin for when it's one of Phoebe's powers later in the show? Oh, no. I mean, we can we can revisit it then, but... Also, aren't humans by nature the ones who had it before? Yes! Wait, is Father... What's his name? Did he die and come back with his full set of powers? Is that... Father Thomas mentions that he's immortal. Like, it's just a throwaway line, but he mentions that he's immortal. So, yes, he must have already died and come back. Okay, so... Okay, okay. I, I suppose that fits. Yes, Prue has the powers now. She's gonna die. She's gonna die. And then Cole is like, okay, I know that 
I'm on shaky ground with the triad because I haven't killed the charmed ones yet, but I'm definitely going to reveal to you that I'm going to take off because I don't want to be around Phoebe when she has to watch her sister die. Yeah, he uh, he gets a stricken look on his face when the demon says that Prue only has a day or so left. And the demon is like, why Cole? Is that compassion? For a witch, and Cole's all, I just don't want to see the look on her sister's face when she loses her. And it's like, not playing this close to the vest, dude. No, not at all. So, we're officially in Cole having actual real feelings for Phoebe's own now. Yeah, well, and that's important! Because one of the sisters can read emotions now. So, he absolutely needs to actually have feelings for her. Okay, you think they developed, what, last episode... Back in the past episode? I think in the back in the past episode. I think that is when they started to develop. Because he was playing incredible softball with them back back then. Yeah. They did not have their full range of powers. He really easily could have killed them if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of the witch's powers, Vince, the demon, is apparently immune to them. Yes, he's immune to all witch's powers, which one would think would make him one of the more powerful demons in the underworld, one of the most, probably. I mean, the source is vulnerable to witches' powers. Like, they never talk about the idea of using a power of three spell here in this episode, but, like, the fact that that doesn't come up, that that doesn't come up as a possibility for defeating him, like, nobody is supposed to be immune from a power of three spell. That's why the Charmed Ones exist. Also... I mean, really? This guy? This guy is... Right? I wonder if that means, like, he could be taken out by another demon. Like, if he put all of his spell resistance in witch-specific magic. Oh, are you saying he min-maxed his stats? (laughs) Yeah, okay. Okay. I mean, we don't have any evidence that's not how demons work. Okay, so I was playing a Shadowrun game, mm-hmm. and I don't think you've ever played Shadowrun, am I right? Uh, I have not, no. Okay, so in Shadowrun... It's the thing with cybernetics, right, where you can't use magic if you, like, load up on cybernetics? Oh, I'm so... F- the- yes, it is! So, uh, the more cybernetics you load up, the less you have access to magic, because, like, your humanity decreases and you need humanity for magic, mm. you know? And I built a character who was, like... Oh, and, and if you have too many cybernetics, you you can't play your character anymore. You, like, lose your humanity completely. You become a, a cyber zombie, and you can't play it anymore. Hmm. So I built a character who had who was, like, a pacemaker away from being a cyber zombie. I loaded up as many cybernetics as I possibly could without going cyber zombie. Mm-hmm. And we, we were taking fire, and we were, like, behind cover, mm-hmm. and we were pinned down. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I have all of these enhancements. My body score is off the charts. I'm just going to jump up, take the bullets, and charge. So I jumped up, and the game master is like, what's your willpower? And I was like, fuck, magic exists. Anyway, that's this demon. So you mean like, Javna looks at this guy sideways and he explodes. That's, but like, Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> or whoever. I, I think I think the trolls could have taken him out. Oof. <sighs> so anyway, Prue's at the dentist finally. 
Bruce at the most weirdly socially active dentist office ever. I know she's okay. So she's at the dentist and she's like, can I please have my appointment even though I'm late? And I guess there are some people who have a fetish for dentists because they are, they are so horny at the dentist. Yeah. There's a guy who's basically mauling his girlfriend. They're like, Ooh, ooh, you know, they're nuzzling and he's like grabbing her rear end and Prue starts like at first she's like oh my god I'm so horny and then she can't stop laughing because the woman in the next room has got the laughing gas even though I'm pretty sure that's not how nitrous oxide actually works but yeah she starts cracking up because of the laughing gas and then she realizes what's happening oh my god I have the empathy power so she uh she runs out of the office and, uh... As she runs out of the office, she smacks the guy's butt, and his girlfriend gets mad at him? Yeah! Like, he just got assaulted! Yeah, like, what? I mean, it's supposed to be comedic, but it, it's not. The, the yeah. early 2000s were just terrible. Yeah, Prue grabs this guy's ass and his girlfriend's... I, 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 don't, I don't get it. Like, I get that it's supposed to be funny, but I don't get why. Ugh. Anyway, back at the Hollowell Manor, Phoebe is like, Cole, why were you being so weird since since lunch? And it's like, I don't know, because it was really awkward with your sister and her boyfriend. Yeah, like, you had an incredibly awkward meal with Leo. That's, that's probably why it's awkward now with Cole. But Cole is being all evasive. He's like, look, Phoebe, things are complicated. And I just, I don't know. And there's a lot going on and I can't really talk to you about it. And I wrote in my notes, Cole doesn't need to defeat the Charmed Ones. He just needs to be a shitty boyfriend until Phoebe moves back to New York. Okay, so I love Buffy, but I don't rewatch the first three seasons all that often, even though season three is arguably the strongest season of Buffy. Mm-hmm. But I don't go back and rewatch it because about 90% of Buffy-Angel interactions were awkward-ass conversations like this, Mm -hmm. which are very, very true to high school relationships. They're in their 20s, though. Cole is, like, yeah. Cole is hundreds of years old, and it was irritating for me that Angel talked like that because he looked like a teenager for, like, 10 seconds in the pilot, and then after that it's like, okay, I get why Buffy's talking like that. Why is Angel, the 40-year-old man, talking like that? And then it gets worse when you realize he's supposed to be hundreds of years old, too. Like. Yeah. Yeah. And I get it. He was turned as a teenager, which is why he's stuck at the emotional state of one for the first three seasons of Buffy, and then they immediately drop that when he gets his own TV show. Thank God. But, you know. But at least Cole has a real conflict here. Like, much realer than Angel's was. Cole's conflict here is that he is... He's a double agent who's fallen in love with the person he's supposed to be spying on. It's classic. Classic. But it, it does make the scene very uncomfortable. Hmm. So, they're having a discussion about how she's not sure where their relationship's going because he's hiding something. And he's like... I might have to go away soon, and I care for you, but there are things I can't tell you. And she was like, how can we have a relationship if you can't be all of yourself? And Which is like, um, Phoebe, are you going to tell me you're a witch? Mm. I mean, she is. <laughs> so he, he leaves. He's like, 
we'll continue this later and he like breezes out assuming you you know aren't super sad that your sister's dead and as he's leaving prue comes in and with her newfound empathy power she's like oh my god that guy's as in love with you as i was with andy and andy reference my word a lot of continuity in this episode a lot of continuity who wrote this did you uh uh, this episode was written by uh, Daniel Cerrone, and it was actually his first episode, but he goes on to write a bunch of other Charmed episodes. I feel like that's a thing with people's first Charmed episode. Like, they feel like they need to prove their chops, because we had What's-His-Face's first episode, too, where, where it was, like, constant references to prior continuity. That's an interesting thought. Yeah, that might that might be. Hmm. And I wonder if when it's your first episode, you're more reliant on the show Bible than you are later. Hmm. So, Prue comes into the room, and as Cole is leaving, and she's like, Wow, I have empathy powers now, and I can really sense him falling in love with you. And Phoebe's like, What are you talking about? He just broke up with me, which is aggressively not what happened, Phoebe. Like, you had a weird conversation about the limbo your relationship is in, but that wasn't breaking up, per se. Right. I mean, he did say that he might be going away for work pretty soon. Okay, I'm, you know what? I can see why she, yeah. I mean, I'm, he, he did, he blew her off is what happened. Hmm. And uh, Prue is like, okay, but you're falling in love with him, too. I can definitely feel that. And then she goes into the kitchen so that she can tell Piper and Leo what's going on. And what they're feeling, because that's not super obvious to everyone. Yeah. And Leo's like, oh, this is bad. I know I said this is really powerful, but what I should have said is, it's way more powerful than your weak-ass brain can handle. And then Prue's telekinesis starts going wild, and she blows up the kitchen television. Yeah. I feel like they're going to reuse that effect later when Piper gets her explodey power. Mm, I think you might be right. And Piper's like, doesn't that mean we're going to be in big trouble because our powers are linked to our emotions? And, you know. Right? If I'm feeling everyone's emotions, then my powers are just going to be going haywire all the time. And Leo's like, yeah, probably. Who's to say? Well, you could probably get around that by, uh void being into your astral form since as we know she can't use telekinesis oh yeah hmm i wonder if she wouldn't be able to use the empathy in her um i we i think we know from the end of this episode that she does use her empathy in mm. her astral form but so we'll get to that so prue needs to be away from other people's emotions and she's like especially leo and piper because they're having couple issues well so first she tells phoebe to go confess her love to cole and phoebe's like no i want to stay here and help you and prue's like no you don't you want to go fuck cole and phoebe's like yeah i do okay love you bye (laughs) and then yes she's like uh leo and uh piper you need to deal with your issues and i'm like wow good thing you have the empathy power so that you can tell that they're having issues And she points at Leo and she says, resentment. And she points at Piper and she says, denial. And then she says, deal with it. And she runs upstairs. And Piper's like, excuse me, Leo, you resent me? And Leo's like, you made me feel like I wasn't a man in front of Cole. More like wine lighter. (laughs) (laughs) But this, this is all flavors of Xander getting mad that Buffy saved him from Larry. Oh, God, yeah. 
Or, or Riley being upset that Buffy is stronger than he is. Yeah, and Piper, like, sits him down. She's like, look, Leo, I know you're from, like, the 40s or whatever, and you think that it's your job to be a giant whiner baby about, you know, oh, no, the woman's paying for me. But shut up. You make no money. I make lots of money. I am the alpha in this relationship, so shut up, shut up, shut up, and just do what I say. Yeah, basically. Although, I mean, normally in these situations, I would be like the less powerful guy who's like, oh, I'm emasculated is at fault because, you know, calm down. But in this case, I don't know. I feel like Piper really is being kind of a dick to him. Because it, it seems like she's she's cutting him off at the knees, you know? Because they're like, so what do you do, Leo? And she's like, he's a doctor. That's obviously a lie because he's not going to be able to tell you where he works or anything about medicine from after 1942. He's like Dr. Soidberg. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have any money and he doesn't know anything about medical stuff. I just, I, I don't know. I just feel like maybe Piper could chill out just the tiniest bit. I mean... Just say he's your boyfriend and he's a handyman. Why is this so hard? I mean, Piper's thing throughout the rest of the show is definitely making mountains out of molehills, but... Yeah, yeah. Who cares about that? We got a bunch of Cole beefcake. This is definitely... Oh my god, Cole. Cole is shirtless in his apartment. This is also careening into uh, Buffy territory because I feel like for the most part, I mean, we've had a few things like uh, when they built that dude, uh, that new, that demon in a skin suit, and then he was all naked. Uh huh. But I feel like this show is a lot more dude fan servicey, like fan service for dudes, which is weird because it's a show that definitely skews, I would imagine, female in the audience. But it feels like the sisters are getting put in outfits and stuff, even at this point, way more than the guys are being objectified. Yeah. Not here, though. Not here, though. Here. Hello, Julian McMahon. Yes, Julian McMahon was ready for this. Yeah. Okay. okay. It is weird, though, because it's like the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. So he's got a hairy chest like Julian McMahon does. But when he opens the door and we see him from the back, he has a very unnaturally smooth back, especially for a man with that chest. So, like, they waxed his back and not his chest. Okay, so... I'm going to get into a little bit of possibly a weird area here. Is it about how tiny his nipples are? No. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. (laughs) But I feel like there is a pretty strong correlation to... Have you read that essay, uh, Everyone is Beautiful, No One is Sexy? I might be getting the name of it wrong. No, I don't know that essay. It's sort of... It's about how in modern movies there's this... You know, the Marvel actor thing where you get very, very ripped and fit, but your body is there to be admired in a single scene and it's never really in a sexual context. Oh. How all of the Marvel movies, and honestly, probably a lot of other movies too, have this kind of weird sexless thing going on where you need to get super ripped to be in one of those movies, but, you know, it's a. At the end of the day, it's a Disney movie. Well, and also this is talked about a lot, but the the big, powerful, jacked superhero is a male power fantasy more often than it is a female 
sexual fantasy or people who have sex with guys sex fantasy i i don't want to i don't want to be heteronormative here but uh julia mcmahon here it's all about sex okay okay and he has a hairy chest i i know this is all pulling from dc but are you talking about Batman's dick? I know you love talking about Batman's dick. I'm not going to talk about Batman's dick. And I only love talking about Batman's dick in that they got permission to show it once and then never again. And I think that that is hilarious and that they should show it all the time. <laughs> but Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> but in the modern crop of DC movies, mm-hmm. Superman has a hairy chest and he's the only one who's shown in an actively sexual relationship. Huh. He... And Lois Lane have a sex scene in either Batman v Superman or... No, it was Batman v Superman. Like, he is the most sexual character out of the crop of modern superhero movies. And he is one of the only ones with body hair. Which kind of goes back to this thing about back in the 80s where movie characters had body hair and were more generally sexual. It's, It's an interesting thing to think about. Uh, contrast him to uh, Batman in those movies who we also see in a shirtless context no body hair no sexual interest in anyone wow okay I I'm gonna be reflecting on body hair as an indicator of sexual availability in men for a while now okay come back come back to me on this (laughs) Also, I know people are going to bring up the fact that Tony Stark and uh, Star-Lord both had one-night stands really early in their movies, but that is specifically at the beginning of those movies to show that they need to undergo development, and once they undergo that development, they don't ever have sex again. Except for Tony Stark, who had it off-screen specifically to have a daughter. Yes! I'm sorry, I may have thought about this way too much, but... I'm going to be contemplating it for a while now. Both of those scenes specifically only exist so that the characters can grow past them. Those are the only examples I can remember anyway, and granted I don't re-watch the Marvel movies all that often, but those are the only examples I can think of of characters being sexually available. Hmm. And it's only to show a flaw. So speaking of sexual availability... As opposed to Superman where it's a character strength and what brings him back to life and makes him good again after coming back to life. Moving past that. Speaking of sexual availability... Yeah, uh, Phoebe and Cold Doink. And uh, honestly, this this is the scene that feels the most Buffy. Even the music cues here. Oh my god, the music. It is literally, literally, the Buffy and Angel, what was it called? The... Their, their theme. Their romantic theme. It has a word, but I keep wanting to say portmanteau, even though I know that's wrong. Right? Because that's a combination of two names, but it's something portmanteau-esque. I know what you mean, but I can't think of the word. Yeah. But maybe someone will tell us on our Facebook group. Oh, there you go. Or tweet it at us. But it is like one of those barely changed for legal purposes versions of the Buffy and Angel romantic theme and it is so on the nose I was like I'm really surprised nobody got sued over that yeah so Phoebe knocks on the door and when Cole answers shirtless she's like hey I just want to tell you that I want to make out with you and then they make out and then we cut to the next morning and okay are you ready Mm -hmm. 
I like this sexual politics better than Buffy because I feel like this is a healthy version of sex that we never get in Buffy. In Buffy, everyone is always punished for sex. And here, first of all, it's nice. Like, they're happy. It's a nice moment. And they're kind of, like, laughing with each other in a way that feels very real to me and that you almost never see in media. You never see just people kind of giggling and happy after sex like this. Yeah, it's... It's either very... It's either bad, because you have to be punished for sex, or it's, like, very serious and romantic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... This is a lighter side of sex, which I think is a good thing to portray. And uh, granted, I don't want to call it a healthy thing because he is still planning on killing her sisters. <laughs> and maybe her. But yeah, it's it's nice to see sex as this light, casual thing that doesn't invite immediate punishment from the universe. Right? Yeah. Better than Buffy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Phoebe sees that he has a half-packed suitcase and is like, are you leaving? And he's like, maybe. I don't know yet. We'll see. And Phoebe's like, I should probably go deal with some stuff, you know. Uh, am I going to see you again? Is, is this going to keep happening? And he says, one way or another. Okay, what would what's she supposed to take away from that? Okay, so I think she's supposed to take from it, he might have to leave town, but he is into her and he's going to make a point that they will be together even if, like, he has to be away for a couple of weeks. But what he means is, we're either going to screw again, or you'll see me when I kill your sisters. And probably you. And probably you. So speaking of murder. Speaking of murder, Vince has gone to Father What's-His-Bucket's old... Church. Father Thomas. Yes, Father Thomas's old church to uh, find out where he is now, because I guess he thinks that he's the only one who can make the empathy come back? No, no, he just wants to punish him. Oh. Yeah, I guess that's fair. So, uh, he he threatens a nun, he's all throwing her into walls and stuff, and she's like, I don't know where he is since he went to that insane asylum, here's the address. And the guy's like, thanks, I'm gonna melt your face anyway, though, because, you know. And then he does. Demon. And meanwhile, speaking of earshot, the the Buffy episode, uh, Prue is curled up in the basement of the Hallowell Manor, all freaking out because she can feel everyone's emotions, like, on the whole block. It's like she has, it's like she's plugged into next door and can't unplug. She's hearing voices, which... She shouldn't be, right? She should just be feeling emotions, but... Well, I feel like that's for our benefit. Because, like, the things she's hearing are like, I don't love you anymore. Why are you so terrible? Like, I... That's for our benefit. So, I don't want to be all rah, 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 just ripping off Buffy earshot. But... Because this is a thing you see a lot with people who are being overwhelmed with telepathy. It's, It's a trope in and of itself, but... It does feel really buffy or shoddy. Yeah. And her powers are going wild again. She she breaks one of the the beams in the ceiling of the basement, like And Leo's like, the more emotion she feels, the more powerful she becomes. 
And, uh... It's a shame she can't harness that! Piper's like, thank you, Velma. So they all decide to go back to the abandoned building, and Phoebe joins them in a cab that she took over from from Cole's place in last night's outfit. I just want to say, that sweater, I feel like, really makes at least the top part of the outfit better. Oh yeah, it definitely does. It has one of those collars I like. Yeah, it's got, like, it's got a tall collar. And it's, it's cool because it's, it's not of a set with the bandage dress, but by nature of being a bandage shirt, it's got horizontal stripes and the sweater has vertical ribbing. So I kind of like the contrast there. Yeah, it really pulls the top part of that outfit together. Bottom half is still kind of a disaster, but what are you going to do? Also... My god, Leo, what a dork. What is he? He's wearing, like, a fleece sweater vest. Oh, I was gonna say it's kind of like a white, puffy fishing vest. Like, yeah. Because it's not a sweater vest. You're you're right, because it's, it's not a sweater. It, it, it's like a polo fleece vest thing. Yeah. I own vests like this, but the fact that it's white is just really... It's white with black piping, and he's wearing it, like, over a green sweater, over a... It's... It's a lot. You're doing a lot, Leo. It's very dorky looking. It is yeah. very dorky. Brian Cross is a good looking guy. Why are you doing this to him? I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. So the writer was like, oh man, we are getting far into this episode. We better move this plot along. So when Phoebe walks into the loft apartment, like she doesn't even touch anything. She just immediately gets a both a postmonition and a premonition where she sees all of the people that Vince has fried and Father Tom is about to get fried. And Leo's like, the demon must have left a lot of psychic emanations in this room and that's what your precognition picked up on so that's why you got a premonition without touching anything. And Piper's like, oh my god Leo, nobody asked you. You're answering questions no one asked. She can get premonitions. Well, I mean... They could have just had her touch a wall or something, but... Well, and also, I feel like the issue isn't so much that she got the premonition without touching anything, as much as it is the fact that she gets a previously on Vince's Rampage montage instead of, like, an, a single moment, which is what she usually gets. It, it genuinely feels like she could have just had the last one. Right? Like, I mean, it doesn't really add anything seeing the two murders that already happened you just need to know that he's gonna kill one more guy yeah eh whatever they go to crestview because they're crest hills i guess crest hills and they try to talk their way past the receptionist they're like we're here to see our father we don't know his name but we just called him dad (laughs) right and i like this because piper's like we have ten minutes left in this episode. Fuck everything. And she just freezes it all. So they find the mayor, Father Richard. Thomas. Thomas. And uh, they're like, we know that you're an empath. We're witches. And he's like, I used to be an empath. But ever since I lost my power by giving it to that demon, uh, I've, I felt adrift and I felt lost and... I'm not an empath anymore. I'm nothing. And this is the part where he says he's going to live forever. He's He says, you know, I'm, I'm basically damned now because I used to be able to help people and now I'm just some immortal with no powers wandering around, not able to do anything. 
and he gets really upset when he finds out that all of that was for nothing because Prue took the power back. Isn't that why you got upset in the first place when you saw the demon was getting evicted? Or Wait, why did you get upset when you saw the demon was getting evicted? That's a great question. I mean, if anything, it would have just been bad for the demon because he would have been out on the street feeling all that empathy. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. My point is, he needs to control his emotions because he is being a real dick to Prue who is feeling all of his anguish. And I know that he's feeling a lot of anguish, but, like, get it under control. Get your shit together, Mayor. Yeah, he's mad at Prue because he gave up everything. He gave up his destiny to take this demon out of play by giving it his empathy. And, uh, you know, he's so pissed at Prue and that makes Prue, you know, her powers go bananas and everything's flying around the room and all of the, uh, all of the patients are, God, this is so uncomfortable. Yes. Everyone's doing their boilerplate, and I'm putting very heavy finger quotes here, crazy acting, which is just... Yeah. It's real uncomfortable, and this is just a thing, huh? That's just how how institutions were portrayed on television. Probably still are, honestly. Mm. Anyway, we're, we're done with that. They, they grab Father Thomas and they leave and they go back to the manor and... They throw Prue in like a hole in the basement. It feels like the basement has sunken in a little, which given the whole woogie thing is probably not the greatest <laughs> idea, but... <laughs> yeah, I know. And also it's like she can hear people from all over the street. It's not... Well, I guess maybe... Distance helps and that's why it was good to... Well, I know. I, I think that it's... It's not the distance, it's that she is kind of alone in the dark, so she can, like, tamp it down as much as possible, because there are no other stimuli. Hmm. So they look up Vince in the Book of Shadows, and he's actually Vinceris. Yeah, okay. That's fine. Yeah. And it, I, I like how, uh, there, there are pictures of all of his alter egos, and it's like, this is him dressed as a knight. This is him dressed as Robin Hood. This is him dressed as a Jack Black character in some sort of medieval throwback movie in the late 90s. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's apparently, a bard. Apparently he's a demonic assassin because he's immune from witch powers, so that's what he does. Isn't that what most demons do? Yeah. Isn't assassin, like, the most common job in the underworld? Yeah. Anyway, Leo comes up from the basement and is like, yeah, Prue's in a really bad spot. She's definitely going to die. Maybe this guy who is an empath can go down and help her figure out how to, like, control her powers. And, and Piper's like, Leo, shut up. Hey, guy, I just had a great idea. You need to go in the basement and teach my sister how to control her new powers that used to be yours. I love how Piper, because I've been making jokes about that, but Piper literally just tells... Him to go down and, you know. Okay, let's pull that pin out. Okay. Yeah, so uh, Father Thomas, the mayor, is like, okay, here's the deal. You need to turn into the skid. Instead of fighting the emotions, feel the emotions. See, the demon couldn't deal with it because he's a demon, so he doesn't understand emotions. But as a human, you get emotions and you can just let them flow through you. Okay, but the demon survived having these OP empath powers because... 
it was a demon, but all of a sudden being human is key to not going crazy when you have the powers? Yes. Okay. So is he basically just saying that Prue's being a big dramatic baby and she needs to get over it? Yes. Because I feel like most people are sort of not in that heightened of an emotional state all of the time. I feel like even feeling a bunch of different people's emotions, he'd probably just be kind of in a emotional middle ground. Are you saying that the emotions would even out? No, I'm saying that nobody's really in a heightened emotional state all of the time or even most of the time. Yeah, no. I feel like most of what she would be feeling would be kind of the neutral feeling most people have most of the time. She is in, like, a drama-filled neighborhood, isn't she? <laughs> I was actually thinking when I was watching this, I was like, okay, where would I go to just, like, chill out if, if I had these powers? Mm-hmm. Like, I would probably just go to a rave and not get high, but just, like, get a literal contact high from a bunch of people at a rave. Oh, I went the opposite direction. I would just drive into the woods because there's lots of woods around here and apparently it's uh, geographic specific. Oh, no, no. I specifically meant like, where would you go to, where would you assume people would be feeling the best emotions? Uh Oh, well, I mean, you wouldn't need to get high. She was on the ladies laughing gas when, uh. Yeah, no, exactly. That's like an emotional contact high. You go to a rave, you like feel all of the good feelings. And then when you leave, you don't have any of the chemical hangovers. Hmm. I would be a terrible empath because I would just use it to do shit like that. <laughs> Alright, anyway. Vin, Vin Sarah's Vince. He, he comes to the manor, which... How, by, how did he know? Um, I assume Cole told him. Wow, dick move, Cole. Also, I feel like the sisters are not secretive when it comes to demonic powers about who they are and where they are. So, Vincerus bursts into the house, and Piper tries freezing him, but he's like, Ha ha, I am immune to all witch powers! And I was like, I I was just thinking, wouldn't it be really funny if they just, like, stabbed him and he died? It's not a witch power. Yeah, Phoebe's like, are you immune from kicking? And it's more effective than the freezing. (laughs) But he throws her into a wall, and he's like, Ha ha, you're powerless against me! You're all doomed! Okay, so we're coming up on the end of this episode. So Prue goes from curled up in a ball in the basement, crying, I can't handle this, to, oh, okay, I got it now. (laughs) You just needed to say a couple sentences to me. Now I have fully understood how to work this power, and I have full command of it. Like, I get we're at the end of the episode, but it's, it's kind of comedic how quickly she's like, all right, I'm ready. Let's go fight now. Okay, but it's, like, the fact that it's smash cuts from her crying and, like, rocking herself on the floor, and then the mayor, got like, going down being like, hey, don't be afraid, to her, like, coming out of the basement all, I'm gonna kick your ass with my powers now. I'm like, oh, okay, all, all you needed to hear was, oh, don't be afraid. Okay. Oh, oh don't be afraid. Okay, okay. And naturally, you know, tapping into the power of emotion... While she's hooked up to the emotions of everyone in San Francisco has. So naturally tapping into the power of emotions of all of the emotions of San Francisco has allowed Prue to better use her telekinesis to Kung Fu fight. Yeah, she has the kickboxing power now, just like, just like Phoebe. And then, and then she astral projects out of her body, jumps 
her astral form into Vince's body, forces him to feel emotions from the inside until he explodes. Okay, I feel like we see Prue use her astral power to make someone explode one more time, and it's a fake out, and it's actually Leo pretending to be a demon. Well, she didn't use her astral power to blow him up. She literally made him feel all of the emotions she was feeling, because that's how emotions work. You know what I feel like would have worked better? If she had just ripped him apart with her telekinesis when she was supercharged, <laughs> or blew him up using the astral, like, just, you know, astral projected inside of him and blew him up. Because, I mean, fine, whatever, I get it, but that doesn't feel like it's any more of a way around the no witch's power can kill me than, you know. Yeah, yeah. But fine, whatever. So, we're wrapping things up now, and the mayor is like, hey, uh, the empathy power is gone now, because she used it to blow up the demon, and Thus she- making it gone forever? Yep, because she wanted to give it back to him when everything was done, but it's gone now, and he's like, hey, it's okay. You taught me that I can just listen to people. I never thought of just listening to people's problems. So now he's just going to be an immortal man who walks around solving people's problems by- listening to them and helping them out okay then we go to p3 and we find out that uh leo pulled some white lighter strings to get father thomas his job back as a priest i feel like that raises some questions i i I genuinely feel like that raises some questions leo like are the churches aware of white lighters and elders is this like a part of Christian theology in this world? Well, I don't know. Is there a Catholic church out there somewhere that has a giant statue of Q? <laughs> yes. Yes. So, the girls are doing their, like, debriefing at the club thing, where uh, Phoebe's like, so, those signs that led Cole to the demon that had empathy were thinking, not from the elders now, and Prue's like, Eh, it might have been the elders. No, no, she's like, no, we have to be aware that the triad are employing some really sneaky, powerful, stinky demons that none of us should have sex with. And then Phoebe's like, I don't know why this just occurred to me, but I think I'm gonna go see Cole. Hmm, weird. Yeah, yeah. and so she does. She goes back to Cole's apartment, and by the way, Cole's apartment is apartment number seven. Hmm. Seven is a number that in Christian mythology is associated with heaven. So I just... Yeah. And it is a powerful magic number. Not as powerful as three. I'm not actually sure if that's true. But there is a lot of weight behind the number seven. Also, Cole... (laughs) Cole is sort of between his lawyer put-together self and his sexy shirtless self. He's got, like, a button-down shirt over a tank top... Yeah, he's wearing an undershirt, and and yeah, he's got his lawyer, his blue pressed lawyer shirt open, and he's it, like, it's very between two worldsy. It's a good piece of costuming for. Yeah, it is. He uh, he's like, hey, uh, yeah, I didn't have to leave town after all, but I I don't know what the future holds. And Phoebe gives him a hug, and we see on his face that he is he is torn. Credits. I don't know if it's intentional, but I do really like that they have him at this costume-wise as 
at this halfway point between him and his most demonic when he's you know suited up lawyer guy and him and his most vulnerable and human when he's you know in bed with phoebe that they've got him at this sort of half place at the end of the episode sartorially speaking that's interesting. I didn't think about that, but I yeah, I like that too. And it's possible I'm just pulling that out of my ass because as we have learned from the works of James Joyce, you can basically bullshit about anything and people will buy it. Yeah, but also like the author's dead. If you see it, it's there. Hmm. So I know I smack talk. I, I say this so much. I smack talk this episode, but I did genuinely enjoy it a lot, even with the kind of hacky premise I mean, this episode was fine, but I feel like it suffers because we had two really stellar episodes in a row. All Hallowell's Eve and Sight Unseen were both really good. And this was fine. Okay. You know, I'm saying that, and I think it's maybe just because it had a really, really strong co-plot and a relatively inoffensive Prue plot. (laughs) Yeah, I could see that. Like, the Prue plot was the A plot, but it was also kind of... It was fine. It, Prue doesn't get good or interesting stories anymore. A retread of a fairly solid Buffy episode is fine, Prue speaking. Mm-hmm. The Piper and Leo stuff was awful, but that's that's <laughs> just going to get worse. Ugh. So, if you're constantly arguing with your partner, it means you're in a bad relationship. It's not just something couples hey, do. Hey, Max. Yeah? Everybody knows that the beginning of the relationship is the hardest part. God. Oof. So let's go to our segments. Yeah, that, I believe, brings us to our segments. We have our own power of three, and the first power in that pack is Premonition. Who in this episode is, was, or will become famous? I feel like we're spoiled for choice here. We really, really are. Um... Okay, so... Can I talk about Buffy for a second? Oh, uh, I guess so. Okay, we weren't subtle about this at all. Uh, the father empath face uh, was the mayor and Buffy, arguably the best big bad Buffy ever did. Yeah, yeah, he, definitely. He, he did a great job towing the line between invincible villain and, like, threat that could be credibly beaten by a bunch of high schoolers. Also, he does an amazing friendly evil like oof gives me chills thinking about it you may also know this actor from being ted's stepdad in how i met your mother you might also know this actor from one of the three roles he's played on star trek especially uh star trek the next generation where he played tam elbrun (gasps) a beta zed whose telepathic power was so intense that he was practically uh Oh, we have to watch that episode now, don't we? Yeah, but basically he, he has his own earshot episode in Star Trek The Next Generation. Wow. God, just a through line, huh? Yeah, I, I, I feel like that this had to have been intentional because one of the other premonitions is the nurse in the mental institution. Okay, yes, because this is not just a Buffy one-fur. This has two different actors from Buffy in it. And at first, I, I was like, she's really familiar, and I think she's also from Buffy, but I got it wrong. I thought she was uh, the nurse that got fed to uh, the mutated swim team mm-hmm. and go fish, or possibly, uh, who also, I'm sorry, or possibly, uh, who also played uh, one of the members of Ken's cult in L.A. 
in uh... she was not though yeah she it was... was it was wendy worthington who played the lunch lady who was gonna poison all of the students in, in the buffy earsh- episode earshot yes which wow just all over the place I all mean, over it the place had to be on purpose right yeah it's a minor role both times but like that's a really specific actress to get all right, so, and, and then my last one is one of these things is not like the others. I, I don't have an earshot connection for the last one. Mm-hmm. But I do want to share the story where when you've watched a certain show so many times that you see someone who played such a minor role on that show that it's embarrassing that you can place them. And in this case, it's the receptionist from the dental office who was played by uh, Brittany Ishibashi who is probably best known as uh, Nico's mother in Runaways, but I immediately saw her and I was like, oh, it's Cindy, the hot waitress from uh, the Benihana Christmas episode of The Office who doesn't go back to the office with the guys. Someone who is in the episode almost not at all. Probably three minutes of screen time, Max, Max. But anyway, I was like, oh, yes, I've watched The Office, and especially The Office Christmas episodes, too many times. It's embarrassing. But here we are. Uh, so I believe that'll do it for premonitions. That'll bring us to the second power in our pack. Time freeze. What specifically dated this pagers? Come on, pagers. Okay, so pagers is definitely one. But I'm going to go with not pagers, but the fact that Cole realized that he didn't have his cell phone with him and had to use the landline. The idea that the assistant district attorney did not have his cell phone within inches of his hands. God. Like, yes. Also, remembering phone numbers, he is a demon. (laughs) Oh. All right, so final power in our pack. Uh, Telekinesis, what, if anything, genuinely moved you this episode? I mean, for me, it was uh, the Phoebe Cole sex scene. It was, or, or or rather, the morning after scene. Yeah. It... It, it was touching. It was real. It felt real. I, I felt the emotion. Like, yeah, I was all about it. Yeah. it. Phoebe gets kind of awful through a lot of the Cole relationship. You see the seeds of it here with her complaining about the lunch date thing. But you also do really buy that these characters have a deep, genuine connection. And the scene with the two of them in bed together really played off that chemistry. You can see why Cole is feeling conflict. Conflicted. Sorry, I was uh, Googling if they dated, because I'm pretty sure they did. I thought she dated Brian Krause. She did. I thought Shannon Doherty was the one who was dating Julian McMahon. She was. Okay. Yeah. That's so weird, right? I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't imagine that helped the Alyssa Milano-Shannon Doherty friendship. Oh. Oh. Oof. So, I believe that'll about do it for this episode, unless we have one of our secret powers, which I don't think we do. No, no, no secret powers this week. Uh, so, next episode is Power Outage. 
And the description there from Wikipedia is, In an attempt to destroy the Charmed Ones, Cole enlists the help of Andras, a demon who magnifies anger into rage. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I feel like uh, this is not going to be a good one. Really? Isn't, isn't that what the Demon of Illusions did? Well, this is the one where the sisters attack each other and then, and they, then they lose their powers. Yeah. Which you think would have come up in any of the other times they've attacked each other throughout the course of this show. Ah, you see, all those times they were lying slightly on their side. <laughs> That's a Futurama reference. Yeah, that'll do it for this week. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Farrell, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, Kyle, Kate, and Jen. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Hallowell Manor. Mm-hmm.